Welcome to the Triage Method Podcast with me, Gary McGowan, and my co-host, Mr. Patrick Farrell. How are you this week, Paddy? Um, positively fantastic, Gary. Supposedly, yeah, supposedly. Gyms are open from tomorrow, so we have that to look forward to. Um, it's Tuesday. Yeah, but t- tomorrow is tomorrow is Tuesday because we are recording this on Sunday, but this comes out on a Monday, Gary. Come on, get it to fucking get her. Very good. Anyway, that's beside the point. Gary, what are we discussing today? Well, today we're going to be discussing um, obesity with very much a big picture um, perspective on obesity. Okay, so uh, this point, right, first and foremost, right, as personal trainers and people in the gym who are the vast majority of our audience, the way that we often think about obesity is kind of fairly black and white. It's like, okay, Obesity, i.e. excess fat mass, is the result of chronic overeating and or under-exercising, okay? And therefore, if we're going to change that, we need to find ways that people can eat less and or exercise more. And that's a kind of a, a nice, like, simple starting point for understanding obesity and changes in body composition. However, I, we should just say, just before we go on to it, because I know this is a, a point of contention, it's not wrong. Right. Like that's that's what you should really drill into this, this whole thing. Like that's not a wrong perspective. Right. But it's not the full perspective. Exactly. Exactly. And I think for me, like that's about understanding the difference between a kind of um, an individual perspective on the cause of something and kind of the more public health perspective. Okay, so if someone was to ask the question, Um, why did a given individual um, become obese? Then the correct answer at one level would be because over a period of time, they consumed excess calories relative to the amount of calories they were burning each day. That is true. That is a correct answer. However, the truth of that answer becomes kind of becomes a little bit less satisfying if I was to say, okay, um, what do you think the reason is um, that obesity has rapidly increased in prevalence in all developed countries over the past uh, 50 years. Now that kind of seems like a less satisfactory answer because it's, it's, it's kind of like the, 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 levels of, the levels of why. I think it was Richard Feynman who used to have, um, when, he was, when he would present a physics problem, he'd ask uh, students to you know, per- perform the five whys. So each time an answer was given, you ask the next why. So in this case, it would be like, okay, why has everyone gotten um, fatter on, av- on average? Why are, are, are our populations so obese? The answer, correct answer would be that, oh, well, most people are eating more calories um, than they are burning. And as a result, uh, obesity prevalence has increased. But then it's like, okay, why? And then why? And then why? And then why? And that's kind of the purpose of this podcast is to give people an appreciation for the factors that don't necessarily present immediately and to your conscience when you think of um, why does someone gain weight? So we want to kind of look at multiple layers of those factors. Yeah. And I also want to say that a lot of this discussion or the discussions that we'll have today and the discussions you'll see in the, the, the general population, uh, a lot of people frame it in the way that they basically make obesity sound like it is or the discussion around obesity and the solutions, the causes, whatever, it kind of is reminiscent of like, you know, 14th century sins in terms of it's like, oh, it's all about sloth and gluttony. That's the, the issue. It's like people are lazy. Like you look at an obese person or an overweight person, you're like, they're lazy. That's the sin. You know, it's a sin. They're, they're being slothful, right? And it's like, or you see some, an overweight person or an obese person eating and you're like, oh, they're a glutton. Like it's it's very much like, these 14th century church, like I'm talking about from a Western perspective, like that's all I really know. And like, it's like that, that's, that's the perspective people have, you know, and especially because it is a more, like I hate these terminology because they're butchered, but like a first world problem. And because we have so much affluence that it's like, we have the ability to overconsume and, you know, under exercise. Right. And the, the, the thing that I do want to make abundantly clear that, or is that this is not an argument of fault, right? Because that's the way it is always framed, 
right? It's like, oh, it's your fault you're obese, right? And that's, that's a, again, it's a little bit unsatisfactory when you actually start really digging into everything, right? However, like fault and responsibility are two different things. And we've talked about it before on the podcast, but just because it's not your fault doesn't mean that that absolves you of responsibility for, you know, dealing with the issue for yourself and for obviously the broader society. You know, I also hate the argument when people say like, oh, I only care about obese people because I care about people's health. You know, I care about the society, you know, healthcare costs, et cetera. I'm like, yeah, like if that was really the case, like you'd be slapping cigarettes out of your friend's mouths, you know, like, like, you, like that's just, again, it's a, it's a, it's grasping at straws when in reality, it's like you just have this framework in your head of interpreting obesity in those 14th century sins because like again like this is it's been ingrained in the we'll call it the western psyche that sloth and gluttony are sins you know it's it's sinful to think of those things you know or to to do those things and again that's the way we kind of frame obesity i, I say we i talk about like the the general public because i've definitely been in these mindsets myself like i'm not saying that i oh i'm holier than thou i would never have this thought process you know and i definitely slip into at times or at times where I'm like, oh, Jesus, like, they're just so lazy. When in reality, it's like, it's actually far, far more complex than that. Right. Wouldn't you agree, Gary? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, I think this is something that like, is, it's useful to be able to kind of compartmentalize your thoughts on this. Um, because I want like to be completely honest, I want to think, I want personal trainers to be, if you're a trainer yourself, to be able to appreciate the difference between maybe how you might talk to yourself and how you view your own, um, health behaviors and how you think about those of others because when we when we think about um, our own health behaviors for example if I'm making a nutrition decision and I you know I start giving out to myself because I overate yesterday or something like that you know it's like ah Gary you fucking idiot you know why did you why did you eat all that pizza last night you really didn't need that or whatever like that's that's not that's not me promoting you know fat shaming or promoting you know me blaming other people if they happen to um overeat at a given point in time it's very much a personal way of me being able to think through these problems so from my perspective if i'm thinking about my own change in body composition my own change in performance or something along those lines i do view it very much through the lens of personal responsibility because it doesn't help me to think it through any to think through it in through any, any other lens like for me personally making a decision today for example it it doesn't really help me to think about um the maternal nutrition environment for example or you know the the financial situation of my parents when I was a child, have those things influenced the, my health today? They probably have in some way, but it doesn't necessarily change my decision-making. So for me, for, for you as, as an individual, the way that you think about the decisions you make today and that kind of that conception of what it means for something to be a cause is different to the way we think about it on a kind of a broader public health level or when we're dealing with other people. Because if I'm dealing with um, you, for example, Paddy, I know less about, you know, your current mood, your current state of mental health or your financial situation when you're growing up as a child or the food environment, whether or not you were taught to cook, whether or not you can currently cook. I know less about those things and when it comes to you. And that's someone I know personally. As we move further away and I have a new client, for example, who's coming in um, with obesity, they've struggled with it all their life. I know even less about the layers of causation that led the person to where they are today. So I think there is very much a case of the maintenance of respect for the individual and where they are, and that that doesn't necessarily need to be the same as, as how you treat yourself. Because I think that this is something that I've struggled with in the past, where you, if you're someone who very much relies on the kind of narrative of personal responsibility for your own kind of motivation and decision-making each day, you, you know, you, you can kind of become a bit harsh on other people at times and kind of think that, well, if everyone in the population just had more uh, responsibility and they just took charge of their lives, then we wouldn't have this obesity problem. Whereas the reality is things are more complicated than that, the further you get away from any given individual. 100%. Right. So I suppose we should define some things and then talk a little bit about the, the history, because that sets the framework for us to then actually discuss we'll call it like some case studies, you know, actually talk about 
examples and then actual like causes that lead to obesity. So I just have some statistics here. Like you don't need to remember them obviously enough because again, you can find them online. Like I literally just got these off Wikipedia. So like I haven't fact checked them. I haven't done anything like this is literally just what's on Wikipedia. So could be wrong. I believe the data was from like 2017, 2015, 2017 for all of these. And so again, it might be worse now, might be better now. I don't know. Right. But anyway, so obesity definition, it's pretty straightforward in terms of its or I should say overweight is a BMI greater than 25, right? And obesity is a BMI greater than 30, right? Now, that's, that's a, an adequate definition in terms of that gives you a really quick and easy framework to go, is this individual in front of me obese? Are they overweight? Like, where are they on the kind of continuum, right? However, like we've, and we've touched on it before, and we likely will touch on it again, but BMI is not a great scale right? It's just your body mass index. You're fucking, again, it's not a great scale because you could be really jacked bodybuilder and be classified as obese. Now that could still represent an issue. Like I'm not going to say that just because you have more muscle and less body fat and you're still in the obese category that that's all okay. But also again, that's not to say that just because you're not in an obese category or an overweight category and you have you know, extremely low muscle mass and have really high body fat. Like you could be at a BMI of 24.7, you know, and have literally no muscle and have all body fat, right? It's like, like, like it's, it's an arbitrary cutoff is what I'm saying. Like, and just for uh, perspective, like I am 95 kilos and I'm 195 centimeters tall, which gives me a, a, a BMI of exactly 25. So this is my perspective. I'm actually overweight, right? <laughs> well, actually it's over 25. So I'm 0.1 below being over <laughs> or overweight, right? So again, that's my perspective here. And like, if anyone was to look at me, they would be like, yeah, like you're definitely not overweight. However, by BMI, by virtue of like being 25 BMI, I am overweight, right? So Gary, do you agree with that? BMI is not a great indicator. However, it gives us some criteria to somewhat objectively look at obesity and overweight yeah like this is this again kind of comes back to and this is something i'm going to keep bringing up throughout this podcast the difference between like uh, our kind of individual assessment and the population level or public health assessment because this is like bmi is something that if you're applying employing that at a kind of a population level and um, for public health purposes does a great job you know it actually it is telling you like the chances are that you know if you have a population that have higher bmi is it likely that they're all just more jacked like no it's not likely that everyone just got jacked in that population people are probably um carrying more body fat so as a kind of a, a quick screening tool it, it has its uses but as you get closer to the level of the individual um obviously it's going to be a little bit less informative and that goes in both directions of course you can have people that are just jacked with lots of muscle mass but to be honest that's a lot less of a problem really than than people kind of you know people bring it up all the time but like not everyone is you know a bodybuilder like it's actually pretty rare for people to be obese purely because of muscle mass even when bodybuilders do say that they're obese like unless they're on lots of drugs the chances are they are actually carrying quite a bit of body fat along with that muscle this, you know? this is also i'm going to say very very frequent you'll see this people are like oh but they're a rugby player you know because rugby players like generally do carry more size because you know that's what they need for their sport and but if you were to actually like i don't know get them into a dexa it'd be like you literally have 30 or 40 percent body fat you know it's yeah. not like you're uh three percent body fat bodybuilder ready to step on stage it's like no like just because you exercise and you do whatever it's like like you're still in the obese category and objectively you're obese yeah, exactly. So like, it's, it's, don't get too carried away with yourself just because you, you happen to go to the gym. You know, the no. chances are that if your BMI is 35 or whatever, it's not all muscle mass, but also it suffers from problems in the other direction too. Because as you say, if someone has a low level of muscle mass and not, not only that, but also depending on body fat distribution, you may be at elevated um, cardiometabolic disease risk, even at a quote unquote normal and BMI because you know you could have one individual who stores lots of body fat and um, peripherally on their limbs for example another person stores that body fat around their organs and the second person is going to be at elevated risk so, so you have to you do have to appreciate that look there is more to it you know things like waist to hip ratio for example are things that try to 
give it more specific measure. Like if you were going to your doctor and they were like, oh, you know what? Your BMI is a bit elevated. And then they took your waist hip ratio. That would be more information. And then maybe if you're seeing that there's, there's signs that there could be problems, like, oh, you've got high blood pressure, you've got dyslipidemia, et cetera. It's all building together. But as a, as a first glance, especially in populations, like BMI is, is, is useful. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's, that's our definition we're working with. It is what it is. As I said, not perfect, but yeah, not gives, perfect. Us, gives, us, gives us some stuff, right? Um, so with those definitions, 37% of Irish are quote unquote normal weight, right? 37% are overweight and 23% are obese, right? So basically a quarter of the Irish population are in the obese category, right? Um, which is, you know, not great when you think of it in terms of like we do have socialized healthcare. So we are all paying for that if that does lead to issues, which is something we'll, we'll get onto in this episode and future episodes, right? So and the Americans actually, which we'll get onto their data in a second, even though they're not actually the worst nation on earth. And they, like the, the military has classified this as a, uh, a, a threat to national security, having an obese population. Right. So again, take from that what you will. Um, but that is something to, to ponder on, right. In terms of it's like this, this is actually an issue for the, the, the sovereignty of the nation, not just like an individual issue in and of itself. Right. And, um, but anyway, let's get on to the American data. So, uh, <clears throat> and this is, again, we're not too far off it. So, you know, don't be like laughing at this or whatever, if you're an Irish person listening to this or British, like the Irish and British statistics are fairly similar. Um, but, uh, 65.7% of Americans are overweight or obese, right? So again, that's, that's not, that's nearly like 70% of the population are overweight or obese, you know? Um, so again, not a great place to be in, right? Now they do have like a data by race for the Americans, even though again, race is not a great proxy for anything because especially not the way the Americans record it. But again, look, we'll, we'll use the data that we have. Um, Obesity rates for Caucasian adults 20 years and older in the US in 2016 was 37.9%, right? So that's obesity rates. Now, this is also important because I said 20 years and older. And also, we were looking at just Americans as a whole a second ago in terms of 65.7% of Americans are overweight or obese, right? But if you actually stratify that and look at, like we'll call them the average age people, like they're not the, the youth or they're not the elderly. It's like, it's actually a little bit more worrying the, the actual statistics when we look at them, right? So as I was saying, 20 years and older in the US, 2016, 37.9% um, of a Caucasian adults were uh, obese, right? And females were more obese than males, right? And now we'll come back to that in a second. Um, obesity rates for black adults 20 years and older in the US in 2016 was 46.8% right? So they have a higher obesity rate than Caucasians in America or yeah, in America. And again, just keep that in your mind and also stratify how American society is traditionally laid out. Now, obviously, again, like when we start talking averages and we start doing this basically <coughs> collectivism, like the lines get blurred. But again, we have to talk on a population wide level here, but it is something to consider when we consider some of the other factors that we'll touch on in a second, right? Um, Asian adults, 20 years and older, um, their obesity rate was 12.7%, right? So that's quite different than the 37.9% for Caucasians and the 46.8% for Blacks, right? Like that's, that's, that's quite a, a stark difference, right? And that's especially a stark difference when we look at Latino adults, um, which is Latino is actually a terrible, terrible, you know, whatever, because like Latin languages, like, are we talking French people? Because yeah. they're Latino. Like that's, it, it's, it's reckless. Like if I, if someone emigrated from Quebec to America, like technically they're Latino because they're a Latin language. So anyway, I'm presuming this means Hispanics um, age 20 and older had reached an obesity rate of 47% right? So Asians are doing something different, <laughs> right? Um, um, and that's something that we should definitely keep in mind when we are looking at population-wide data, right? Now, one of the things I touched on as well there was that 
and I didn't touch it on all of the categories because they were all the same, but in all of the categories, females were more obese than males. And I mean that in terms of like a percentage, not like, you know, the actual size of the individual. <laughs> um, so women are more obese than males. However, more men are overweight than there are overweight females, right? So women are getting to, we'll call it the, the, the higher rungs of obesity, whereas a lot more men hang out in the, the kind of middle range of obesity in terms of they're in that overweight status, right? So there's less women in that range and there's less men in the, the obesity range. Um, but again, that's something that we should consider in terms of how we view all of this stuff, right? Um, so what do you think of those uh, numbers there, Gary? They're, they're not exactly a, a shining beacon of like, oh, this is actually, society is really in a great place with our overall health. And this is especially true when we look at the way people use definitions. Like people use medical care and healthcare as uh, like synonyms, but in reality, they're not the same thing. Uh, medical care is like the stuff that you get from a hospital or, you know, when you interact with a doctor, like healthcare also includes what you do for yourself. Right. So like those are two different things. And even though, again, we use them interchangeably. Um, and is this just a damning con like indictment of you know populations where it's like, Oh, what you are doing yourself, you're actually making the medical system worse. Like the medical system can only do so much. And that's supposed to be supposed to be in the context of, individuals looking after their own health as well in that kind of broader healthcare system. And um, is that like looking at that data, does that worry you as someone that's entering into the medical profession and is also has been in the, that we'll call it the healthcare profession, like or healthcare adjacent profession um, for a number of years? Like, what are you thinking about when you hear that data? Yeah, I think it's, um, I think, I think it's worrying. I think it's kind of, it's kind of unnerving for people purely because it's like, where, where exactly like, are we going? Like, where does, where does it kind of end? Is, is this just, you know, is this just the norm in terms of population statistics now? Is it going to get worse? Is it going to get better? Um, and that's not to say that like the individuals themselves are a problem, like not at all, but rather that it's not exactly a great reflection of the overall um, health trajectory of a society if, if obesity is effectively becoming the norm. So there's serious questions to be asked there. And I think that you have to really, like, especially as young people, we have to kind of realize that this effectively was very, very rare a century ago, a bit over a century We're going to get ago. into the history of it now, Gary. I know <laughs> what I'm just saying. Um, especially like you go back to the 1800s, like very, very rare. Okay, we get to the history. But that that's that's important because... I think, like, depending on who you talk to, okay, most people would agree that we have made a lot of progress, okay? So since the Enlightenment and the way you look at, like, modern societies and all of the things that we have, the things we have access to, like, we've made a lot of progress. Like, people are doing pretty well compared to where we used to be. But the, the challenge here is that as societies begin to develop, and you see this around the world, what tends to happen is that development basically leads to diseases of affluence. So we don't have diseases of scarcity um, anymore, or at least not as frequently, but rather we have these diseases of affluence where we've got basically an abundance of uh, food that is available to us. We've got an abundance of um, sources of, of leisure and work that don't involve physical activity, for example. And when you put those things together, um, we've basically got diseases that are fundamentally the result of um, us living a prosperous um, life, you know, whether depending on how you look at your life, um, but, but in, in societies that have made lots of progress. And you see this reflected um, time and time again. And the, the difficult progress or the difficult paradox here is that what you tend to see is that as societies progress, there's also this shift from obesity prevalence in the rich, so those of high socioeconomic status, to the poor, those of low socioeconomic status. And that's a challenging thing because, you know, while it may have just been the case that before, like it was the wealthier um, who were more obese, 
it's now the case that we're basically uh, seeing the increases in obesity um, at a far greater level, like we didn't stratify by SES in, that in those specific statistics, but it is the case that it's, it's more prevalent um, in those of low socioeconomic status. So that, that is an, an additional problem here because a lot of the solutions that we will discuss or potential solutions that people put forth, there are so many other barriers in place as you begin to stratify by socioeconomic status. So for me, certainly um, a great uh, a great concern um, because again, I, I'm not sure I'm not sh I'm not sure we have great solutions, and any of the potential solutions also come with potential trade offs that may necessitate um, you know accepting uh, giving back a little bit of the. The progress or some of the mechanisms of progress that have brought us to where we are in other areas um, and we will get to that yes right so as you've been touching on there ahead of schedule the uh the history of obesity like this this is something that again if you're just looking at it through that lens like we said at the start this kind of 14th century like uh a sins lens you know you have to actually start thinking about the the history of obesity and what it was like throughout the ages because obviously if you've done any history at all, which, you know, I'm presuming most people listening to this have some vague grasp on history. Um, like you will know that, you know, for the majority of history, you know, plagues and famine were, and like starvation or malnutrition were the norm, you know, like that's, that's, that's the normal for society. Like I know we live in a prosperous society where, you know, most of us listening to this do anyway. Um, but that's not the normal. You know, that's, 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 that's quite abnormal to actually have come to fruition. Right. Um, and unfortunately we have the Brits largely to thank for that, which, you know, I'm saying that while biting my tongue because we're Irish okay. and anyway, um, true colonialism, which again has its own issues. They did put this, this mechanism in place by, you know, conquering you know, the majority of the world, you know, you know, um, <laughs> but, uh, like they set a lot of things in motion, but that's even then that's like, that's we're jumping the gun because what we really need to do is look back in our evolutionary past. Right. And the, the, the thing that I want to bring up is the our closest relatives are chimpanzees, right? There are our closest relatives in terms of, you know, genetics. Um, I think it's 98 or 97% were, were similar to them, you know, like very close, relatively speaking. Right. Um, we both evolved from a common ancestor. Okay. We diverged. Fuck, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands, millions of years. I don't know what the timeline is. But if, if you believe in that evolution story. Yeah, no, I, I personally don't. <laughs> um, I'm a creationist. But um, anyway, um, yeah, so we diverged from them however many ages ago it was. But if we look at chimpanzees, like chimpanzees basically cannot add body fat, right? Um, well, they're shredded, bro. They're literally shredded. If you ever see like a chimpanzee with like alopecia, like they are jacked and shredded, right? Like they literally walk around with less than 1% body fat. Like I looked it up and a figure I got, which I don't know how accurate it is, was 0.0005% body fat. Now again, I don't know how accurate that is because that seems quite reckless, right? However, well, that would be great if you were a competitive bodybuilder right? The, the trade-off for that in our evolutionary, you know, arms race that we call life. And um, the trade-off is they have much smaller brains and also they have an inability to survive starvation. Because again, let's think back to evolutionary history in terms of when I just said the majority of the time, it's like plagues, starvation, you know, malnutrition, like you want to be able to store energy for times of need. And that's all body fat is, right? It's, stored energy that can be used later right and you might look down at your stomach and go oh i have a roll of fat here and look at that you know with displeasure or whatever but if we were going through a famine you would be like huh, thanks for that little roll there you know like that would get you going a little bit longer keep you alive for a little bit longer you know now i would argue most people if we were going through a famine would actually rather die but it would at least keep you alive that little extra roll of fat, right? So that's that's a trade-off evolutionary we've done. We have adaptations that allow us to store body fat so that we can survive periods of time without energy, without access to food, right? And that has allowed us to be one of the only animals to conquer all of the continents, right? That's that's why you find 
humans everywhere, right? Um, so that's the start of this historical journey in terms of the, the history of obesity. And um, the majority of the time throughout history, like obesity isn't just not a thing. The only people that ever got to places that we would consider overweight or obese were people like kings or people that had, you know, excess like wealth. Like they just had so much money that they could afford to eat to excess and not have to do any exercise or any activity at all. Right. And again, like that's not, we're not talking about in our like a hunter gatherer past. We're not even talking about in our, like we'll call it feudal past, even though that's quite recent. Well, feudal past is, true as well like there there were times that in feudal past that you know the kings and whatever else were able to get quite rotund um but even then it's like they weren't they weren't like they still had to endure periods of famine and malnutrition and whatever else you know it's not like just because they had excess wealth that that was a guarantee of excess uh food you know um however like that did kind of change. We'll call it around the 1600s, the 1700s. Um, like food production was getting a little bit better. Um, and it really only became a thing in the 18th century. Like that's kind of the start. If you look through, like from what I've seen and like from what I've read, because like I, I literally read about a history book every single week. But um, from what I've read, the 18th century, that's kind of when you see the start of people being mentioned as obese. Well, obese, the actual term does come from, I believe the, the 16th century, if I'm remembering things correctly, but um, it is the 18th century that, you know, it really did start taking off. Right. And I say really did start taking off. I'm meaning like, you know, there's one in a million people would be considered obese, you know, very, very low incidence of it. Right. And even then it's only really with the industrial revolution that, things really started taking off with crop production, which allowed us to make more crops. And a lot of this was done through, we'll call it automation, you know? Um, and I mean, they were, you know, they built tractors and stuff, right? So that allowed actually more crop to be harvested, you know, better crops to be planted. Well, easier to be planted, harvested. Basically the farming system was revolutionized with the industrial revolution. And that did two things. It took people off the land because they didn't need copious amount of like farmhands to take the crops in or plant the crops or do whatever. Um, and also it increased the amount of food we could get from a given acre of land or whatever. Right. So that's, that's the start of it. It's the industrial revolution, but it's not like you get to the industrial revolution and it's all happy and roses and everyone is well fed. They all have a full belly and you know, whatever else It's like, no, we still had, like pretty shit time of it. Like it's not, it wasn't great. Um, and it's really only after World War II that we start seeing things start to take off like where we are currently, like getting to those kind of levels, like nowhere near those levels in world, after World War II. But again, getting towards those levels. And this is very, like you can see that it, there's a stark difference because in like the 1930s and 1960s, like they used to sell like weight gain pills like, you know, there was advertisements for like weight gain pills and like they'd look to, they didn't want, like you say, you look at ones that are marketed to females, for example, and they'd be like, oh, you don't want to be all like skin and bones. You want to have a, a curvier figure, you know? Um, and they basically be trying to get people to gain weight because people found it quite hard. And this is only like the 1930s to 1960s, like that kind of time frame, you know? And obviously again, that time frame as well, like they were selling like weight loss pills as well. Like they were selling like DNP over the, uh, you know, you could order it through mail in. But again, like this, I'm not saying that weight wasn't a problem then either. But what I'm saying is that there was more people struggling to gain weight. Like that was a thing, right? So that's, that's notable because like no one would really say that in this day and age. Like, yeah, obviously we're in this health and fitness sphere. So people are kind of like, oh, I really struggle to gain more muscle or gain weight, especially you see like younger males, they'd be like, oh, I'm finally struggling to gain weight. And realistically, they're just under eating because they're not planning their meals effectively. But outside of that very, very niche population, like you'd be hard pressed to find people that are like, I really struggle to gain weight, you know? And like the food environment is, is completely different. It allows you to gain weight quite easily, right? Um, but anyway, even after World War II, like 
it was still only really the 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 richer people in society like the 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 higher socioeconomic status people that had access to enough enough food to gain weight but also not have to exercise enough to offset that gain in weight <laughs> right and then the thing that really escalated it was the we'll call it the rise of globalism or neoliberalism like they're both like the <laughs> They're somewhat interchangeable in terms of this discussion. They're not the exact same thing. But for what we're talking about, basically the real push for a freer market in terms of how we deal goods, you know, like you had organizations like the EU spring up, which I know we don't think of it nowadays as a neoliberal organization, but that's, that's literally how it was framed. It was like, we need to free up the market. We need to free the movement of capital and we need to free the movement of people so that we can all be more prosperous. And while that objectively or, you know, in in your opinion, you might be like, that's a bad thing or that's a good thing. I don't really care about individuals' opinions on this, but this was one of the things that started this movement in the, the obesity timeline, right? This freer movement of people and we'll call it this freer market, right? So you might've heard of like free market forces. And this is one of those things where we freed up the market. We got less regulation. So people could move more and goods could move more. And, you know, people weren't putting trade tariffs on other countries, you know, um, like the EU doesn't put trade tariffs on other EU countries. So we can trade goods within each other in this like neoliberal utopia. Um, but anyway, that's beside the point. Um, but that really did start things turning, like the, the cogs turning for this obesity, we'll call it a pandemic because that's what people do call it. Um, it really only started in the 1970s. Like you could put it down to, you know, Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher. Like if you want to be like, it was these two individuals that really pushed it. But like realistically, it was going on before then. Like that was a, it was a thing before that, you know? Um, but obviously they, did, that was their kind of movement but anyway that's beside the point we're not a politics podcast um so one of the things that and again we'll touch on it a few times in in uh, a little bit but the free market forces they do likely drive obesity right like the free access of food and i don't mean that food is free i mean that like you think about it, like you go down to the supermarket now today and you have more access to flavors and foods than any wealthiest king, pharaoh, emperor, whatever at any stage in history. Like you just think back in history and you go, oh, let's think of like a, I don't know, Caesar or something. It's like you literally go down to the shops and you have more riches than he could ever dream of. You know, think of like Alexander the Great. Again, you have more riches than he could ever dream of. You know, so like we live, we truly do live in the most prosperous time. And again, this is one of the consequences of that neoliberalism, that freer market. But that's not to say that there's not trade-offs to that as well, right? Um, so basically since the 1970s, that obesity has really started to risen and it's been on a trajectory upwards since then, right? So a few things have changed and one of those things is the... The food landscape, that's one of the things that has really changed in terms of what's playing into this um, obesity paradox. But on top of that, like the, the exercise, we'll call it, or the activity environment has also changed because along that trajectory, like I just talked about, people went from working the land to working in offices. Well, working the land to working in factories, which you know still likely needed a lot of you know, manual labor and stuff. And like, obviously it's a dangerous environment, people losing hands, you know, all that kind of shit. Um, but also from that, then moving on to like predominantly working in offices, you know, like I was looking at the statistics, I should have written them down, but uh, like the majority of people work in office settings now. And I know a lot of people listening to this, they are either personal trainers or coaches themselves. So it's not exactly the same. Like obviously we have online coaches, which is pretty much an office job. Like we, we both have basically an office job. Um, but I know a lot of people who are listening to this also have a, like we'll call it a real job outside of the health and fitness stuff they do in terms of like, they just go to the gym casually for an hour or two in the morning or after work, you know, and then they go do their nine to five in the office. Right. So the activity environment has changed a huge huge amount like you're not out 
tending to the field uh, or whatever, you're in an office sitting down for eight hours a day, you know, and then you probably commute there as well. So you're driving, sitting in your car, you know? So two things have changed. And those two things are the things that go into driving obesity. As we said at the very start, it is fundamentally uh, an issue of calories in calories out. Right. And society effectively has changed to manipulate those two things. And that's only the beginning of this story. So do you have anything to add to that, Gary, before we just, I just want to pose a few different questions and then I want, we will we'll get stuck into those examples then. Yeah, you can go ahead and pose the questions and I'm sure I can add stuff in as you go. Right, perfect. Right, so when you, like, and we're going to touch on a few of these today. We're going to like just elaborate a little bit, but we just want this in, this episode to be basically an intro episode to really start to get your, the, the cogs turning in your head and when you start to think about this topic a little bit more outside of the perspective of what i just said which is you know it's a calories in calories out argument which again fundamentally it is but it, it's not the whole story right and there's a few questions that you'll see put up or put out there when we talk about obesity or anyone talks about obesity and um, especially in like the we'll call it the general population like a few questions do come up based on what i've just been saying in terms of the activity environment has changed and the food environment has changed. And people would argue that fundamentally people have changed. So we'll get through a few of those. So some of the questions that you'll hear is like, is sugar addictive, right? Like that's, that's something that gets posed because maybe the way we've changed our agricultural system has made sugar more ubiquitous in society. Like people would argue that. You know, I don't think the data would necessarily support that, but that's something that people would argue. They would say sugar is more apparent in society and that's what's driving obesity right and, and that might be something like again these free market forces and um, with government intervention like in america especially like they subsidize corn that leads to an increase in the use of like stuff like uh high fructose corn syrup because they have an excess of corn because it's being subsidized you know so again it's it's far more beyond just the actual question we have to look at the underlying reasons behind why the system has been led to that point but anyway the next thing then is is it fat that causes obesity. And what I mean by it is like dietary fat, you know, saturated fat, perhaps like that seems to be the devil. Like maybe it's saturated fat that's driving obesity. Right. And again, it's, it's hard to say with the, the data that we have that that's supported, but again, that's a question we're going to potentially dig into. Right. Other people would say then, no, it's not the fat. It's the carbs that cause obesity. It's not even the sugar necessarily. It's just, it's carbs themselves that cause obesity. Like if you were to eat a ketogenic diet, you would, there would be no obese people. It's carbohydrates themselves. It's insulin. That's the issue, right? Other people would argue that it's, it's processed foods, right? Um, and this potentially you could argue into the, what I've been discussing in terms of this freer market, these different food regulations, different food systems. It's like we have an increase in processed food and that's the environment we find ourselves in. And maybe that's leading to some like different neuroregulation of appetite and we don't feel full and that drives obesity, whatever. Again, stuff we're going to get into, right? Then people would say like, you know, obesity is not actually an issue, right? Because there's metabolically healthy people that would fall into the category of 30 or more BMI, you know? So like, it doesn't matter that people are obese because it's not an issue in and of itself, right? People would argue that, right? And again, that's something we'll, we'll dig into. And they would also often use the argument of like metabolically unhealthy thin people, right? So they would say like, oh, like there's, it, it, it's not the body fat that's the issue. It's, there's something else going on, you know, whether it's insulin resistance or, you know, something else. It's like, that's the issue. Obesity is just one of the symptoms, right? That's again, something that's, that's posited. And again, we'll, we'll get into this stuff. Um, again, other people would just say it's insulin resistance. That's the actual issue. That's what's driving obesity. So there's all these other factors that go into insulin sensitivity and obesity or sorry, insulin sensitivity and, you know, body fat. And that's what's driving obesity. Like people aren't sleeping as much as they used to, which then makes them more insulin resistant. So that's driving obesity, you know, like people would argue some way in that insulin resistance framework that these other things that we're doing, they're increasing insulin resistance, which is then driving obesity. Again, these are factors that play in. And um, other people then would argue that, okay, cool. Obesity is a problem. And we don't know the cause, but uh, we also don't know the solution because do diets even work? Like you'll see people bandy around the claim that diets don't even work. So even if this is an issue, we don't have a solution. Like there's no way that we can, we can, we can do anything about this, this problem because 
diets don't work. So you might as well just go on and enjoy your food and not change any of your habits or do anything else because fundamentally you're going to fail. Right. And like, that's, that's not like in my mind, I'm like, that's, that's first of all, it's not really supported by the science um, from my perspective anyway. Um, and also I always just look at the example. I'm like, look, your ass is going to get dirty again. Does that mean you don't wipe it? I would argue you should probably still keep wiping your ass. But again, that's something that we'll, we'll potentially dig into deeper in terms of diets working. And um, then another one that you'll also see bandied around, Gary, you'll like this one. Do doctors receive very little nutritional education? And that's actually the problem because someone who is overweight or obese goes into the doctor looking for help and then their doctor gives them terrible advice, you know, and it perpetuates this, this whole system that we have, you know? So that's, again, a question that we have to deal with. And is this causative? Is it in some way, you know, into the whole obesity paradigm? Again, it's something we have to, to deal with. And I touched on a little bit in terms of the insulin stuff, but, you know, other people would argue that it's, it's just hormones overall. They'll say something about insulin maybe, or maybe it's a, a thyroid issue, or maybe it's cortisol, maybe it's, you know, leptin or, you know, some other like hunger hormone. Um, and again, this could be dysregulated because of like the, the food supply, the system overall that we have um, or whatever. But some, like a lot of people would argue that if the hormones have changed, right? There's something going on there, whatever it is, maybe, I don't know, there's estrogen in the water or something that's lowering our testosterone and you know, we're getting fat as a result, right? Um, or cortisol, like the, the environment is more stressful overall and that's what's driving obesity, right? And other people will say that, you know, again, you'll see this quite often in the fitness industry. It's like, oh, well, people will say uh, it's a lack of time. You know, that's what people will say. I don't have time to get healthier or get fitter or whatever. And I'm like, is that an excuse? Like people in the fitness industry would argue that that's not an excuse. You just organize your day better and you get it done. But again, if you're talking to this mother who has to raise four kids on her own because her partner is dying of cancer and she has three jobs, it's like, like maybe, you know, there's, there's more to the story, you know? So again, some of those, obviously that's a, a very niche, very small percentage of the population. And, you know, for some people, it is an excuse that they're saying, I don't have time. And they spend 12 hours a day on their phone. But again, this is stuff that we have to tease out when we are actually looking at this stuff. It's not just as easy as saying like this blanket statement, right? Um, and this is another one that I, I saw when I was investigating it. And again, like you could, you could make a pretty strong argument for this as like, is the rise in obesity due to the decrease in smoking in society, right? Because like smoking has like a a thermic effect in terms of the nicotine that you you ingest um, and also it has appetite suppressing effects so have we just traded one evil for another it's like yeah we've got decreased rates of smoking where throughout history a lot of people would have smoked more regularly um, and well only since you know i mean that's beside the point um but uh, is that now driving the obesity stuff because these other people that would have been smoking and had uh, appetite suppression because of that then didn't get obese and now because these individuals like the same cohort in terms of the 20 year old group will say like more of them are getting obese because less of them are smoking again you could make an argument you could use the data to support that potentially right so do you have any other questions that people you've seen yourself or people come up with gary in terms of obesity as a as a thing because obviously that's a lot of different things and i'm not answering those questions yet and that's what we're going to touch on in somewhat this podcast and then future podcasts but i do want people to start thinking about it so is there anything else that you've heard question wise around obesity yeah like there are other things that that will come up from time to time like one of them is obviously just the fact that we all live sedentary lifestyles like that that's the reason that it's, it's just a lack of exercise people don't exercise anymore there's this kind of romantic idea that all of our ancestors spent 24 hours a day you know running around hunting not exactly true yeah we were probably more physically active in the past on average but you know it's it's not that much of a difference but anyway the question is yeah maybe maybe it's it's physical activity other things are like is it antibiotics in the food supply? Again, you kind of have to start to think, okay, well, there seems to be significant differences between um, the antibiotics in the food supply in different countries, despite similar levels of obesity. So it's like, oh, maybe not that. Things like um, latent infections, for example, that are um, driving changes in, in appetite. Is it uh, the additives or preservatives in food that again are messing with neurobiological mechanisms? 
all of these questions. Like we've, we've put together about 20 different hypotheses there. And the reality is that all, like with all of those things, there's an, at least some kernel of truth in there um, and also a lot of falsehood. But when you put it all together, I think we can make a, a, a pretty compelling picture as to why um, people are becoming more obese on average. And that was actually one you just reminded me there. Another one I saw was people were saying the fact that we don't get like gut parasites or anything like that. That's that's the actual cause of obesity because of this rise of, you know, antifungals and antibiotics and parasite medication or whatever. It's like, oh, we don't have gut parasites anymore. So that leads us to being fit or to being fat. And, you know, throughout all of our evolutionary history, we would have had these pathogens. So we just got rid of them now and this is the trade-off, you know? And again, like you're like, well, that could be a compelling argument. And again, perhaps it plays some role in this. Right, so obviously again, we put out a load of questions there, a load of different thoughts there. I want you to give me two examples, Gary, right? To put this stuff kind of together. And then we're gonna run through just a few other causes of obesity. And um, we might do it, depending on how long this is, we might do it in this podcast, we might do it in the next podcast to finish this kind of introduction to obesity and then really start diving a little bit deeper with this stuff and actually taking this stuff apart. But anyway, give me some examples, Gary. Yeah, so before I go through these, guys, as you're listening, what I want you to, I want you to take part in, in this podcast in general. Like you can see we're posing a lot of questions. I want you to take kind of like an active learning approach to this. So actually like genuinely put yourself in the, in the shoes of, of these two individuals. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk you through uh, the, the lives very briefly um, of two different people. And I want you to think about how their upbringing, how various other factors that I'll discuss might influence their likelihood to make um, healthful uh, food choices to be involved in activity, um, to drink, to smoke, uh, to get fast food regularly, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so person one, okay, let's just call her Jennifer, okay? Sorry to any Jennifers, this isn't to stab at you. Okay, so Jennifer was born in Dalky, in Dublin, okay? So a relatively wealthy area, a beautiful part of the country, okay? Really nice uh, scenery, nice hills, nice places to go swimming and walking, etc. Okay, so it's a lovely part of the country. Um, when her mother was pregnant with her, she was very careful with smart, you know, nutrition choices. She visited a nutritionist and made sure that everything was in order, that she had the appropriate supplementation if that was required and that she was you know gaining the appropriate amount of weight not too much not too little everything was well managed okay she was then raised in a household with a large food budget okay so that was never an issue you know different fresh produce every week you know going to the farmer's market all that sort of stuff they regularly ate out in restaurants and when they did that they would have you know broad menus many options they got used to tasting lots of different foods as kids you know her and her her siblings um, and they shop regularly in places like Marks and Spencer's, for example. Okay. Um, they do lots of, or she, as a child, she partook in lots of uh, local walks. So they'd often, you know, go walking with other families, for example, as part of childhood activities. They'd go to the playground. That's how they'd spend their Sundays. And she was always encouraged to kind of get involved in sport and other activities in school as well. And um, as she kind of reached adolescence then, she was taught to cook, okay? So her mother would help her out learning how to cook different things in the kitchen. And then when she went off to college, um, her rent was paid for and she had a nice budget to spend on food. And she also had the food preparation skills to be able to cook herself nice meals in college. So again, we're on the right track. Um, and when she was in college then, and she graduated and everything, she had minimal financial strain or other stressors. Okay. So not only did she come out with a pretty good job, but she also had that safety net all along, knowing that her family were, you know, fairly well off at home, that she'd be able to be taken back in at home. So everything was was kind of nicely set up for her and and socially now you know she engages with others her friends who are also into kind of health and wellness okay health is a big part of their social signaling you know whether it be the appearance of their skin for beauty purposes or the types of foods that they eat to uh, post on instagram you know they'd be the type she'd be the type of girl to you know share her her lunch on instagram avocado on toast kind of job you know so overall when we look 
um, at the kind of culture that she's embedded in, health and wellness is very much a part of that. So overall, that's uh, Jennifer's life story. Okay. Sounds like your upbringing, Gary. That's me. Yeah. <laughs> um, person two, um, I'm just going to go with a male here. Okay. It doesn't matter. This is not, you know, male versus female. Um, so let's go with uh, Jimmy. Okay. Jimmy was born in a housing estate in North Cork. Okay. When he was conceived, okay, it was an it was an unexpected pregnancy initially. His parents were struggling. Was it? Huh? A session, <laughs> was it? Yeah. His parents were struggling um financially when he was an infant. Um so as a result, he was kind of raised in a household where money was often a barrier, you know, initially when he, when he was an infant, you know, it was kind of uncertain, you know, what types of foods they might, you know, feed him, you know, it might be, you know, similar meals to what they were eating, well, maybe not as a proper infant, but as he became able to eat properly. Um, and yeah, he was raised in a household, as I said, where food was often a barrier. There's lots of kind of fast food restaurants nearby. So they're kind of, you know, there's the, the chip around the corner, there's the Chinese across the way. Um, not really, um, any like supermarkets uh, close by at least so very often it would just be a case of maybe going down to the the corner shop and picking up a few bits kind of as needed um, they, they would you know shop in in Aldi and uh, deals for bargains at the odd time so particularly looking for you know trying to save money and trying to purchase products that are going to keep because you know purchasing fresh produce all the time, fruits and vegetables, just not very effective because, you know, they go off and then you have to throw them out. Disaster, really, you know. Um, there's little to do in the area where he grew up, okay? So he found himself, you know, getting into trouble a lot. There wasn't much to do other than that. So very often he'd kind of end up staying home, you know. His mom wanted him to stay home because it was just like, he was just getting into trouble. So he just started playing like video games and stuff instead. You know, his friends would come over every now and then, but they just play video games, you know, buy a six pack of crisps or something like that. Just having the crack, you know, yourself. There's no real green areas um, around, you know, they didn't really play football um, where he grew up. Like it wasn't really that kind of, that kind of childhood. There wasn't many green areas. Um, they didn't really go for walks or anything like that. You know, his parents were often, kind of working, trying to make ends meet. And, you know, their social life didn't really involve kind of activities, not really that type of thing. Um, and he, he always found that, like, he didn't really have much interest in school, didn't like being told what to do. Um, and as a result, like, was never really keen on on cooking or being told what to eat because, you know, he just didn't, like, I, don't tell me what to do. Like, I'm going to go to McDonald's if I want, whatever, you know. Um, and, you know, as he comes out of school and everything, he starts working in a local shop. You know, the wages aren't fantastic. Um, he's struggling to pay his rent and health, like not really a priority among his friends, you know, him and the lads, like it would be pretty girly to be seen to be, you know, trying to eat well. It's just, it's not really something that would be acceptable within that group. And like socially, what they tend to, so, you know, go for a few pints, you know, or get, get a few cans or whatever, and maybe order, order, order some fast food. But, you know, he's definitely not engaging in any sort of uh, health and well-being signaling as part of his kind of a sociocultural life. So there might be some differences between those two people in terms of their propensity to eat well and to buy avocados in the shop, you know? Yeah, I think those two, I think it's like pretty self-evident, or I should say it's pretty self-evident, but... For a lot of people, they would just say, oh, it's still just a, a matter of gluttony and sloth. And like both of them should be able to get to the gym three, four times per week, and they should be able to eat a calorie controlled diet, right? But it kind of misses a lot of the context which you've just given there in terms of their upbringing, their ability to, you know, look after their food, look after their own health and the habits that they engage in overall, Right. Um, like their education around nutrition, completely different. The food availability and their willingness and availability of like the cost of it, completely different. And the society, even though they live in the same society, like they live in Ireland, um, like it's completely different for both of them. The the food systems that they engage with, you know, even though like we're, we're saying it's the same food system, but it's also the ones that they engage with are different. Um, and that leads to a difference in energy balance and their overall habits. You know, like I think that's, it should be self-evident in terms of the barriers for one of those individuals versus the barriers for the other one of those individuals. So do you think either of those or both of those have the same 
risk for obesity? Probably not. No, I don't think so. Um, again, that should be pretty self-evident. Like if you are a coach, like that's, that's the kind of stuff that you should be th- taking into account. And if you're an individual, again, that's the kind of stuff you should be taking into account in terms of how you actually go about solving the problem for you. If you are an obese individual and you're looking to, to fix the overall issue. Um, do you have anything else to add to that, Gary? Because I actually think we should just wrap this up because we can then get into some of the, the causes of obesity a little bit more in depth in the next episode. Um, but do you want to say anything more on those two individuals? Because I think it should be self-evident that those two individuals have a different obesity risk. Yeah, like the, the only thing I, w- I would just try to kind of finally say is like, like think about the way in which you actually um, make your choices, okay? Because we all think that we make choices just in this kind of very rational black and white way. Like, you know, I thought from first principles when I got up this morning that having this breakfast would be a good idea based on my nutrition knowledge. The reality is like that doesn't, that's not how most people make decisions. And I think we kind of have this like utopian idea where it's like, yeah, well, people could make decisions like that in an ideal world, but it's, but it's like, okay, but they don't. So what are you going to do with it? Like, what are you going to do on a public health level? You like, you just want to change human nature. You want to change the way people operate on average, or do you want to actually try and solve the problem? And the reality is that you want to try and solve the problem. So I think you have to realize that there are many, many, many factors that go into the way in which you make decisions and whether or not you like it, there are the actions of other people, the actions of your social group, the norms within your social group, they all impact the way that you behave today. I know people don't like being told that because we like to think that we're just these pure individuals, but we're not. Like, that's the reality. Like, if you, if I was to say to you, uh, would you, if I put a meal of a dog out in front of you, would you eat it? Like, you'd be disgusted by that. But if you lived in an Asian country, yeah, if you lived in an Asian country in which you know eating dog was just part of their culture, you would have a different perspective on that. Okay, that's actually just that's not true, Gary. You're actually just a racist. And um, very <laughs> few Asian cultures eat dog meat. Um, I would just like to point out that I do not harbor racist views like Gary, who does. Okay, well, you're fine, right? I'm just the racist. There you go. Um, but yes, all right. You're from an Asian culture in which it happens to be uh, normal to eat dog. Okay, I didn't want to specify a country because then I properly... Um, you should just say brains, because a lot of Asian cultures eat brains. And I would never... I'm in for brains, man. Nah, prions diseases, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not good. But anyway, to, to get to my point, okay, um, the, the, the point there is that, like, you like to think that you're just this perfectly person and that you know all your decisions are purely the result of you kind of using your little calculator deciding you know what's the, the right thing to do that's just not the way life actually works okay so whether or not you like it your food decisions are impacted by many other variables you know hunger is such an obvious example of that like think about your propensity to buy different products within a shop when you're hungry versus when you've just had your dinner it's totally different your your reason hasn't necessarily changed but it has because it's being influenced more so by the more uh, primitive areas of your brain let's say okay so the things that you don't feel like you have as much conscious control over so all that neurobiology um, that has been that has evolved um, in scarcity and is still acting on you or acting as part of you to make those decisions. So, you know, while you do have freedom of decision-making, the reality is that the, the freedom is not as, as, as apparent as we would like it to be. Okay. You're, you're probably influenced by other people more than you like it. Even if you do put on your Instagram saying, you know, Oh, it's all just be an individual, do whatever you want to do. Yeah. Kind of like, forget about the actual like neurobiology stuff. Like, just think about it. If their only shop, the shop closest to you that sold healthy foods was an hour drive away and you didn't have a car. Yeah. Like, do you think your ability to get to that store, that shop is the same as another individual who lives five minutes away from that? Do you think your food choices are going to be changed as a result of that? Where you're like, oh, I can just go down to the, the local corner shop that doesn't have exactly great food, but again, it's, it's close to me versus the individual who their local corner shop is a fully, like I live literally right beside Dundrum Town Centre. So I'm like, 
I literally can go down there and Marks and Spencer's is there. Tesco is there. You know, there's a, a, an Aldi around the corner for me. There's a little, you know, like there's so many easily accessible options for whatever price point of food I want. Right. And that can be both a pro and con for obesity because it's like, okay, you've easy access to lots of food as a result. And again, that can drive obesity. But the opposite is true. If you don't have easy access to healthy food, it's like that can also drive obesity because this stuff is complex, right? Um, anyway, right. I reckon we just wrap it up here because there's actually, I'd say another three hours of podcasts that we want to do. And um, so it's probably easier if we just split these up and that allows us to dive a little bit deeper into, first of all, answering some of those questions that we posed earlier on in this, and then also actually digging into the various causes of obesity, right? Because again, yes, to all of you out there that are in the health and fitness profession, it fundamentally is an issue of calories in, calories out, right? But that, that doesn't mean that that's the solution to the problem, right? Like that's, yes, thermodynamics are a thing. Like that's literally like saying like you throw a ball up and it comes back down because gravity is a thing. I'm like, cool. Like that's, that's great. That doesn't help you be a better basketball player. You know, like there's all these other things that go into the game, you know, and it's the game of obesity. So we have to factor in all those other things. And again, we'll come through them in the next few podcasts. We'll try to answer some of those questions that I posed. We'll probably think of a few others along the way. Um, but I do want you guys to be thinking and like, ideally I would like to see you engage in this. Like we're going to post this in the, uh, the group that we have, the Facebook group. Um, and I would like to see people engage. Like if you have thoughts around obesity or questions, like what should you do as a coach or what should you do as an individual that is obese or are worried about it or have, you know, individuals in your family that are obese. Like they're kind of things that I, I want to know what you guys are thinking about with this stuff. Um, so please do interact with the, the podcast, if you will. Um, but uh, yeah, we're going to be covering a lot of stuff in the next few episodes. Do you have anything else to say for today's episode, Gary? Nope. Nope. That's uh, satisfactory. And what else do we have going on at Triage? Yeah, so obviously you guys are aware that if you're looking for further education, particularly if you're a coach, that you can join the Coaches Corner. Uh, we would recommend doing so. That's our member site. Can, contains lots and lots of useful information related to exercise and nutrition and other related topics. So I would recommend getting involved. If you're someone who just wants to get on the path with you, have coaching spaces available. The gyms are reopening Ireland this week, so now is a good time, obviously, and to get kind of back on path, particularly if you haven't been in the gym for six weeks. And it will be nice to enter the new year with a bit of momentum. You know, it doesn't look like people will be doing much uh, pubbing this Christmas anyway, so I don't think uh, you'll have the same excuse for not hitting gym. You know, so we'll be in the gym Christmas period. <laughs> We're also not allowed um, so to yeah, our, our beloved jujitsu, which is quite depressing. No. Look, go insane. But yeah, if you are interested in, in getting involved with the coaching process, then we do have spaces available. So just get in touch. You can also just follow along with our newsletter and our Facebook group. So Triage Method newsletter, you can subscribe below. Triage Method community, free Facebook group. You can also join that below. And also on our other social media. So that's Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. Subscribe on all the above or follow on all the above. And also, if you could leave a rating and review on the podcast, that would be um, very, very helpful. And that's basically all the places that you can keep up with what we're up to, uh, consume the content that we're producing and get involved with the services that we're offering. Wonderful. Anyway, I have nothing else to say except it is literally too easy. And I hope everyone has a fantastic week back in the gyms. Enjoy.